the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Depression. What an industry, huh? You can't get through a commercial break these days without seeing some commercial for some antidepressants. We've got the ultimate antidepressant for you. Join us. Abounding Grace is next. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, begins a series today out of Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. We'll be looking at depression and the answers to depression. Is your life marked by sorrow or joy? Join us for part one of this series on depression. Here's our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. This week we return once again to Luke chapter 5, and we will be reading verses 33 through 39. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? And he said unto them, Can you make the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish." But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. This week we're actually going to begin a probably four to five part series on depression. And how do we overcome depression and sorrow? The title is, Is Your Life Marked by Joy, or Is It Marked by Sorrow? So today I'm going to begin to address how to keep from being sad and depressed. And our subject is the new life we as Christians have through our union with Christ. A new life of joy under the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a fairly familiar story in the life of Jesus. For on the same day that the newly appointed apostle Levi threw a party for all of his pagan friends to come to hear the gospel preached by Christ himself, a day was set aside by disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees to be a day of fasting. And yet Levi throws this lavish feast to honor Jesus. Now, do you think that might be a coincidence? I don't think so, brothers and sisters. And here's the conflict. The Pharisees come to Jesus and his disciples and they ask, 
Why in the world are you partying on a day when everyone else is praying and fasting and doing without food and drink while we solemnly meditate on the things of God? Why, Jesus, don't you tell your disciples to fast as frequently as both the disciples of John the Baptist and we and our disciples? Now let's ponder a couple of questions. First of all, why would the disciples of John the Baptist be fasting? Why did they make fasting such a big deal? Well, I believe for two reasons. First of all, Harold had recently killed John the Baptist. So his disciples were certainly mourning over that. And then perhaps secondly, like the Pharisees, John the Baptist may have encouraged his disciples to fast as an expression of their mourning over sin, as if that was a part of the repentance process, which I hope you know it's not. Well, why would the Pharisees be fasting? And to understand that, we've got to understand something of the history of fasting. Now, of course, fasting is to go without food and drink, except for perhaps water. And then spending that time, as you normally would be eating, in prayer before God. Now, you may be surprised that in the Old Testament, fasting is only commanded one time. There was only one time each year in the life of the children of God in which they were commanded to fast, and that was on the Day of Atonement. That was an obligatory part of the rituals of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But fasting was also practiced voluntarily by the people of God on several occasions, as a sign of mourning or during times of national disaster and calamity or as an expression of intense sorrow over sin and for repentance. But during the Babylonian exile, toward the end of the Old Testament era, fasting took on an entirely different character. The children of Israel, as a result of their apostasy, had been overrun by the Babylonians. The holy city of Jerusalem had been destroyed and the children of Israel taken as captives into a foreign land. As a result... There was no temple in Babylon for them to carry on their sacrificial system with their altars and their lavers as in the temple of Jerusalem. So here you had the beginning of Phariseeism during those days. Sacrifices just had to be made because, as anyone would know, the only way one could get to God, of course, was through these sacrifices, according to the Pharisees. Bloody, but bloody sacrifices couldn't be made since there was no altar and no temple in Babylon. So the Pharisees made up a new way of sacrifice. It was a bloodless sacrifice. They said, do various rites and rituals as meritorious, bloodless sacrifices that are offered to God to win His favor. 
go through whatever ritualistic motions you can. So lots of prayers should be made. Offer money to the priest. Do, do everything you can in an effort to earn God's favor so you can make points with him. And boy, you can earn a lot of points with God by fasting. If you do without food and drink regularly and spend that time in prayer, you will make huge points with God, according to the Pharisees. So the whole practice of fasting in the religion of the Old Testament degenerated into what today is Judaism, with its legalism, its attempts to buy and earn and merit God's favor by various good works and sacrifices like large checks in the offering plate, or heartless good deeds, or fasting. As a result, while the children of Israel were in captivity in Babylon, fasting, which had an important place in the life of the people of God in the Old Testament, became an increasingly outward and formal thing, and much of its religious value had deteriorated. For that reason... You can read in many of the prophets of the Old Testament, in the last part of the Old Testament during Israel's exile, like Ezekiel and Malachi and Zechariah, you could read them preaching against the works-oriented, uh, works-oriented fasting that was being done in those days, saying, in essence, real fasting is not just abstaining from food and drink. It is renouncing sin. And abstaining from food and drink without renouncing sin means absolutely nothing. You don't earn favors with God through fasting. So throughout the centuries, this legalistic development of fasting continued until by the time of Jesus, it was a fixed practice with the Pharisees twice a week. Two days a week, the Pharisees required themselves and their followers to spend the entire day fasting and to do it with much pomp and display, which, of course, was quite hypocritical. In Jesus' teaching, he rejected the meritorious, compulsory, legalistic character of fasting. Yet in the true Old Testament sense, he practiced it himself on occasion permitting it as a voluntary form of spiritual discipline for his disciples. And in the book of Acts, we find the disciples fasting voluntarily on occasion, but without public display of depression and sorrow. But after 300 years from the birth of Jesus, once again, fasting degenerated into some kind of obligatory, meritorious formality that you see practiced even today in Roman Catholicism, in Judaism, and even in Islam. Well, the Pharisees came to Jesus with their legalistic, formal, meritorious understanding of fasting, which they felt should be required twice a week, and they asked, Why don't your disciples, Jesus, fast like we do to show their devout spirituality, their intense religious fervor? And not only do they not fast like we do, but on the very day we fast, they go to parties. Now, how do you explain that, Jesus? Well, Jesus answers them with three short, 
irreversible and unanswerable parables that go right to the heart of the nature and the purpose of his coming into the world in the first place. He takes advantage of this little picky religiosity of the Pharisees to teach us some of the fundamental principles of his kingdom and of his coming into the world. Now, what were these three parables? The first one in verse 34, which we will talk about today, is a parable about the attendance of the bridegroom not being allowed to fast while the bridegroom was still with them at a wedding. The next parable, which is very familiar to most of us, we see in verse 36. And it says, No one tears any piece of new cloth and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will tear the new and it will not match the old. And then thirdly, the story about the new wine being put into old wineskins or old bottles. If you put new wine into old wineskins, they will burst. So the wine must be put into new wineskins. And then he ends in verse 39 with actually a little bit of humor. He says, And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for the old is good enough. Today, let's look at that first unanswerable parable. Now, here's the point, and this is very important. Jesus, why is it that you and your disciples are not characterized by a tone of solemnity and sorrow and seriousness every day of your life so that you celebrate the seriousness of that sorrow a couple of days of week by fasting? The tone of the life of your apostles is opposite of the way we expect real spiritual people to behave. Real spiritual people should be sad, long-faced and solemn all the time, always wanting to fast and deprive themselves of the pleasures of life. Your disciples are not characterized by that gloomy look on their faces. And besides that, They go to parties. Now, is this just because your guys have a different spiritual attitude than our guys? Jesus, what's happening here? And Jesus makes the point by saying that the reason for the difference is the nature of the kingdom of God and the nature of my relationship to these men, my disciples. It's not because they are less spiritual and more worldly. It's not because they put the pleasures of this world above devout practice of their faith. It's not because you Pharisees are spiritual and my disciples are not as spiritual. It's because my disciples are truly spiritual. It is because my disciples are saved. It is because they are members of the kingdom of God and thus their lives are dominated by joy, not by gloom and Depression, wanting to fast and deprive themselves of things like you all the time just to feel spiritual and otherworldly. So he has a simple little parable. And remember, as we talked about last week, every parable is rooted in a comparison between human experience and an unknown divinely revealed truth that you would not even know unless God revealed it to you. What is the comparison here? He compares his presence with his disciples in the first century with a wedding party. And he says, the friends of the bridegroom 
while in charge of the wedding arrangements and responsible for the excess of the entire wedding reception, would certainly not fast while the wedding is in progress and the bridegroom is still present. He is saying that would be rude and absurd. No one would do such an outrageous thing. Weddings are for joy and celebration, not sadness and fasting. And everyone knows that. Now that's the tone of Jesus' answer. Here you have the best friends of the groom. And they're all having a great time because it's the happiest day of the groom's life. How can you expect anything different, Mr. Pharisee? While the groom is full of delight and joy, eating and drinking, full of excitement, do you really want or expect the closest friends of the bridegroom to sit aground with an attitude of, woe is me. Oh, what a miserable day this is. How sinful it is to even want to be happy. Now that would be rude and stupid. And you know it would, Mr. Pharisee. Now, what is the point? Jesus confronts them with a counter-question, which is a habit of his. And that counter-question puts a blowtorch to everything they believe. And the point of this counter-question is to focus attention on the situation created by Christ present, God in human flesh with his disciples. The point that he is making is, it is morally impossible to compel his disciples to fast while he, almighty God incarnate, is present with them, just like it would be immoral to compel the attendance of the bridegroom to fast mournfully while the bridegroom is still present with them. The central comparison between the wedding festivities and Jesus' disciples lies in this one thing, the joy which Jesus' disciples possessed in the presence of their master. As long as their master was there and they were in his presence, they could not fast. There was nothing in them, beloved, that moved them to fast and to be depressed and, and, and overcome with sadness and gloom. As long as their master Jesus was there, the bridegroom, and they were in his presence, their hearts were filled with joy and they had to celebrate and, and rejoice because their whole life was summed up by being in the presence of Jesus. An expression of sorrow was totally inappropriate for being in the presence of a holy God in human flesh. When you are in His presence, beloved, you can't help but experience joy if you love Him. Now, we need to understand what joy is. It's difficult, really, to define any of the great affections and expressions of the soul other than to actually try and associate them with something that we know. So, can you reflect on how you feel when you're in the presence of intimate company? Someone you love more dearly than anyone else in the world. You know, you fall in love and you get engaged. Now, in that, do you remember what it's like to just sit with that person and simply enjoy their company? 
do nothing but be with them and enjoy their company? You husbands, do you remember how that feels? Husbands and wives, parents, the kids have all gone off to bed or they're all out with their friends. and You're home alone just simply enjoying one another's company with no one else around. Can you think on that? All right, now, multiply that emotion infinitely and you'll know something then of the joy that a disciple feels in the presence of Jesus. The highest joy, the greatest excitement, the greatest thrill, the deepest, most heart-satisfying pleasure of a disciple of Christ is to live and move and be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, humanly speaking, God has an attitude like that toward us. Do you remember what it says in the book of Luke about the lost son that came home? The lost coin that was found, the lost sheep that was brought back into the fold? Well, these parables tell us that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. That God enjoys and delights in personal, deep fellowship and communion with His children, with you and I, beloved. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, why in the world did the Lord Jesus feel joy while He was undergoing the shame and excruciating pain of crucifixion? Because He would see the travail of his soul, and be satisfied. Because he knew that those redemptive pains and labors that he had to experience would come to fruition in the eternal salvation of everyone for whom he died. And he wanted to save them from their sins and bring them into fellowship with him because he experienced joy in being in fellowship with those for whom he shed his precious blood. So in this parable, the point is, how can the disciples of Christ do anything other than experience joy unspeakable that is full of glory and live a life rejoicing as long as their master is with them and they are living in his presence? Now, Jesus' disciples at this point of in time, may not have been fully aware of why they were so joyful in Jesus' presence. And that's because Jesus had not completed the work of redemption yet. He had not yet died on the cross and risen from the grave and ascended to God's right hand and poured out His Spirit upon them. And yet even before all this was completed, his disciples not fully understanding why they were experiencing this joy, nevertheless experienced overwhelming joy in Jesus' presence. We now, having the whole Bible, can be fully aware, more fully aware, than those early disciples as to why they felt such joy at being close to Jesus and in His presence. And it is this. 
Jesus' presence meant that the jubilant kingdom of God had come to earth. And those who entered that kingdom by faith and repentance of sin would spend their lives rejoicing because they knew that by faith they would be in the presence of Emmanuel for an eternity. You see the very fact that Jesus was there in history, was born of a virgin and was living an actual physical life in front of these disciples meant that all of the prophecies about the saving power of God coming to earth to change men's hearts and to create new cultures and new civilizations had taken place, beloved. And that power was already changing men's lives like Levi. And they were becoming members of his kingdom, attaching themselves to him and leaving all behind. So they would rejoice for the rest of their lives, knowing that they would spend their lives, their very eternity, in the presence of Emmanuel. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.